I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Necronomicon Ex Mortis, the book of the dead. Your move, creep. He didn't get out of the cop, the duty car! I have something to say. It's better to burn out than to fade away. Hey everyone, this is the Professor Rick Del Santo of the PWZ Podcast. If you're interested in professional wrestling of the independent kind, the National Wrestling Alliance, and the United Wrestling Network, check us out on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, YouTube, and anywhere you listen to professional wrestling podcasts. Hello everyone and welcome to Shocking Things. We have a special guest. This is Rick Del Santo from Pro Wrestle Zone. How you doing, Rick? Great. And yourself? Oh, very, very good. Um, we're going to be having fun because uh, we're going to be talking about one of our favorite movies, Highlander from 1986. Uh, I want to ask you, Rick, do you remember the first time you saw this movie? I know I saw it as a kid, but then I think... It was upon meeting you that you reminded me of this movie, and then that's where my love for the movie like was uh, just born, and the the awesomeness of the movie yeah. in, in itself. Like, you know, it was like one of those movies growing up in the eighties. I was like, oh, this is a cool movie, but you never saw it again. But okay, probably about ten years later. Well, I met you about eight years later, probably uh, nineteen ninety two, ninety three, and when we started talking about it, I, I rewatched it and. It instantly was one of the movies that just went to the top of my list uh, okay. uh, of, of great movies. Yeah, I saw it just by accident. Never knew it existed until it came on HBO one night. And probably, I think they came out like a year or so later after the theatrical release, probably yeah. on HBO. Like, yeah, like a lot of great movies in the 80s. That's how we discovered a lot of the uh, the cult movies and B-films. That Yeah, I was watching know, one it, movie, yeah, and it just yeah. rolled next. I'm like, all right, what is this? And then right off the bat, I got into it and just, you know, over time came one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Um, now, this movie, the budget for it was $16 million dollars quite a lot for that that, that, that it was yeah. and this was uh and it only made uh close to six million so it was a flop mm-hmm. this is one of those uh canon films i don't know if you like there's a documentary actually about canon films how oh. they they did like break and break into cyborg <laughs> a lot of these movies that they didn't spend a lot of money on and they're doing well financially and then the, uh, they just started like dumping all this money into stuff and this is one of the movies and they didn't go too crazy but the you know uh, but they did spend some money they did over the top like that's a movie where they spent way too much money on for example you know Sylvester Stallone you know Scott Norton and Terry Funk you know (laughs) (laughs) but that's funny that you said that it's a flop because it instantly like spawned a series of um sequels it, a, tele- exactly. a television series spin-offs you know it, i find that insane yeah. yeah it is it's one of those movies where it, it was a flop in the theaters but people like you and i we discovered it later on and then it took off in uh, video rental sale you know uh, rentals right. at the time when that was a big thing so that's how it just like word of mouth i think got around and it's one. It's funny because when you watch that documentary, they're basically making fun of a lot of the canon films. This Breaking movie, too. Yeah. Oh, electric Boogaloo. They're, yeah, they're kind of like hokey movies. 
Yeah. Wonder was never mentioned because it's a good movie. So they never right. said it was never even brought up because it probably would go against their narrative of <laughs> making fun of canon films, right? Right. Trying to trash it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, now this movie was directed by Russell Mulcahy. Um, this was interesting. I did research on him. Before he got into film, he actually uh, directed a lot of music videos. Okay. Uh, like Duran Duran, Elton John, The Motels, Kim Carnes, Rolling Stones, Spandau Ballet, and one of your favorites, The Tubes. There you go. You, you probably made a lot of money off of that in that time period because that, that list of bands was pretty hot on MTV at yeah. the time. MTV yes. was a pretty, what, still in its infancy. It was probably only about three or four years old at that time. Yeah, so, so he did all those early videos that were all really, really huge. He directed those, so that was introduction to directing, which I thought was pretty interesting. That is. And uh, later on, he directed actually one of your favorite movies, Rambo 3. <laughs> Still this day, uh, yeah. the worst of the series, even though they yes. two, two and more. Yes, credit in that. I guess he didn't want his name uh, attached to it. Uh, Highlander 2, which uh, we were talking about, that one went in a very strange direction. Yeah. We'll uh, have to get into it. Yeah. Uh, the Shadow, that movie with Alec Baldwin. Yep. And some television shows. Uh, for the writers, Gregory Wyden wrote the story. And it was originally titled Shadow Clan. Okay. And uh, he wrote Backdraft, uh, The Prophecy, if you remember that film. I do. Uh, Peter Bellwood uh, did the screenplay. He did Highlander 2. Uh, Lakem Nafita, uh, the TV series. Larry Ferguson, another one who worked on the screenplay. He did Hunt for Red October, Alien 3, and the Rollerball remake. Um, that was a good one, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. So there a lot of big names like listed here, like big-time movies and TV series that these guys yeah. were all involved yeah. in. Yeah, they did a lot of things. And then um, and Christopher Lambeer, uh, one of the stars, is Connor McLeod. Um, I first knew he existed from Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan. I don't know if same, yeah, same here. Uh, that's the first time I saw him uh, was in that movie. Um, it was an interesting movie in itself. You know, it, it's one of those I went back and uh, watched it years later. And it's it's kind of a lengthy film and not as interesting as Highlander. No, <laughs> it was very, very. I just remember it was advertised very heavily when I was a kid. Yes. So that's how yeah. I, I knew was when I saw Highlander, I'm like, oh, I remember him. Yep. Uh, you know, Highlander 2, Highlander Final Dimension, Highlander, all the Highlanders. Uh, Fortress, uh, Mortal yes. Kombat, he was in that. Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance, and he's, and he's still acting. He's just continuously doing stuff. And I don't think Sean Connery really needs any introduction. <laughs> right? Sure. You know, right? You know who he is, you're a little under a rock. Yeah. Uh, Pretty much. He was Ramirez, and he did so many uh, great Bond films and just so many things over the years. Uh, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, The Untouchables, Hunt for Red October, Zardoz. And uh, he has your favorite quote in Finding a Forester. You're the man now, dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, uh, he's, he's quite the, he was quite the actor at that time period. And he's probably, what, 40-something years old, 50 in this movie? Uh, probably, probably around, it's probably right, probably around 50 or so, I'd say, that makes sense. Yeah, he, he didn't uh, seem like he aged much over the next 40 yeah. years until he passed us a couple of years, yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, Roxy and Hart was uh, Brenda Wyatt. She was in Oh God, You Devil. I remember uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> she did like tons of TV appearances throughout the years. And uh, probably the biggest hit she was on was uh, Chicago Hope. She was okay. amazing in that. Clancy Brown, who I, I think is a very underrated actor. He's the Kurgan in here. The, mm-hmm. the, do you agree with me on that? I like him a lot. You know, he, he's been in a few other things, and um, he's great in this movie. His, uh, he plays the Kurgan great. You know what I mean? I couldn't picture anybody else doing this role. I agree, and I think he's one of those people. I'm sure you've seen all these lists over the years, and people put like their top ten villain list. Mm-hmm. He never gets put in there. I think he's probably one of the most underrated movie villains of all time. He's probably, you know, I don't. I know we just mentioned it in the beginning of this episode, but I don't think the Highlander series, like you know, it doesn't get as as many sequels as there's been in a TV series. I don't think it gets the recognition of things such as uh, like in the science fiction realm, such as like things like Star Wars and Star Trek. So some of the actors aren't getting that kind of you know recognition. Yeah, yeah, true. It doesn't get. Um... It doesn't get the love that the other ones do. Right. It is yeah. still more, even though it was successful with the TV series, uh, the one with the woman, uh, the Raven. Uh, there's a cartoon. Oh, yes. Yep. So I mean, it's still. I mean, they actually just produce new T-shirts now, fright rags for Highlander. Oh, awesome. It's the 35th anniversary, so they just made, and they sold out of almost all the Kurgan shirts. Believe it or not. That's awesome. That's great. So, but so it still does have a cult following. Uh, but Clancy Brown, he was in Bad Boys, not the the crappy uh, Will Smith one, <laughs> the oh, good Sean Bad Boys. Did you ever, did you ever see? Yeah, that yeah. was he was Viking yep. in there. Yep. Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, Shawshank Great Redemption, movie. which I think a lot of people probably know from that. Starship Troopers, Pet Cemetery Two, and he's done a ton of voice acting. And he did the voice for uh, Lex Luthor in Adventures of Superman. Oh, all right. Cool. Yeah. So, um, and um, the love interest for uh, Connor McCloud is uh, Heather Beatty Edney is her name. Uh, she was in Highlander Endgame uh, in the name of the father. And uh, she's in a series that's actually sort of like a, t- a time uh like a period piece called Pole Dark uh, that's pretty popular. Now, with this movie, the way it starts off, right off the bat, it, it, when you see what Sean Connery reading, you know, uh, the, the opening text by him, you know, he actually read that in his bathroom in Spain. <laughs> that's weird. Yes. <laughs> so I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, now, I thought, and then the Queen music came in. I thought Queen was really a great choice for the the soundtrack. It is. Your... They were a really hot band at that time period, and you know a lot of a lot of those seventies rock bands kind of lost their their thing, their mojo, I guess would speak yeah. at that time period. But um, I think you know when did Flash Gordon come out? The Flash nineteen eighty nineteen eighties when so, that came out. Yeah, so I mean, I think that that kind of helped, and and with this helped keep them at the top of their game. You know what I mean? Doing soundtrack work, it's uh, it, it helped keep them like in the the people like relevant, eyes. right? Yeah, like, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And I think that that some of the songs that are uh, used in this movie are just phenomenal. You know? Yeah, and uh, and the director said they hired him just to do the theme for it, but then they really like started like watching some of the movies, some of the production of it. And they wanted to do more songs because they actually liked the film a lot. 
That's cool. I know Brian May is actually a big Star Wars collector. Yep. I saw uh, that. I saw that on YouTube. There's like a video of him between that and his guitar collection. Yeah, I saw a photo. He has all these uh, Star Wars uh, sculptures. Oh, wow. Like tons of them. Like, yeah, it's like statues. Um, Now, they actually got... uh, the uh, the writer because uh, the producer Harold Moskowitz would actually drive around like L.A. and go to the colleges and that's how he found the writer Gregory Wyatt was talking to students got some of their uh, work and he and he really liked it so that's how they got the script for it mm-hmm. and uh, when this opens up I I don't think there's going to be other podcasts that talk about Highlander. I can pretty much guarantee you nobody's going to go more in depth about the wrestling segment <laughs> at the at the beginning of this film than us. Do you agree with that, Rick? I think you're right. I do have some things to say about this, but you know, uh, I think it's an amazing scene. Uh, you know, he, being a huge wrestling fan myself, uh, still to this day, and I, you know, I do have a wrestling podcast. Um, that was one of the things that excited me the most about this movie. Uh, I know it's so corny to say, but uh, the beginning, that first five, ten minutes, like, really excited me. Well, you got to remember the time period this came out, wrestling was so hot at the time. Right. So if you got to imagine, like, we're kids in the 80s and we saw this, it, right off the bat, you know, has Sean Connery reading, you're like, oh, this is really weird, talking about silently moving down through centuries, living secret lives. Then all of a sudden you have Queen and then boom, like wrestling, like, oh, wow, this is phenomenal, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's great it opens up. It's got the, uh, you know, the fabulous Freebirds against, um, uh, what should we call it? Oh, it's the the High High Flyers Flyers and the Tonga Kid. Yeah, which I I think it's funny because, like, uh, when uh, Connor McCloud gets arrested in the beginning of the movie and he's like, do you ever go to the garden? He's like, yeah, for lousy wrestling or whatever. Yeah, yes. Anything... It's like anything less than lousy. I mean, you know, it's like, <laughs> as, yeah. I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm the huge wrestling fan, but this was, uh, that was an exciting thing for me. <laughs> but so. yeah, but the, the thing is, you and I know, the average person wouldn't know, we're watching this, we both thought this was AWA wrestling, but it's really, yep. it's not, it's technically called Pro Wrestling USA, which is right. 90% AWA wrestlers and some NWA wrestlers, right? right? It was um, the AWA with, and Jim Crockett Promotions, which was the NWA, and some of the set Southern territories were yeah, like, as well. Yeah. Um, and they were all trying to 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 gather to form their own organization to battle uh, Vince McMahon, who was who was going national and trying to buy out all the other territories because uh, he used to go from territory to territory, buy them all out, pick out the top talent. And they had this bright idea that did that actually ultimately failed because none of the promoters could get along. Um, to uh, go against him by uniting, and it just yeah, they, yeah, they figured they could join the forces and go against them, but right. I think they all probably wanted to be you know on top and call the shots. That's probably the the issue. I'm going to assume there's that, and you know, Vern Gagne was very heavy in it, and you know, I heard stories where Vern was supposed to pay his guys, and and and, and Crockett was supposed to pay his guys, and neither of them were getting paid. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, oh yeah. I'm and sure then there's. And then they were putting the blame on each other, and mm-hmm. you know, so it just ended up being a complete disaster. And some some of the guys jumped companies from either or, or sometimes some of the guys just ended up going straight up to WWF, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah. After that, 
Now, this is you and I know, but only if you're like a wrestling fan from that time period would have known. Because they said they were supposed to be Madison Square Garden. You're like, no, nobody goes to Madison Square Garden at that time except for Vince McMahon. So this is correct. Yeah. So that you and I both caught that immediately. It had been probably the only company in WWE in Madison Square Garden for like 50, 60 years was the WWF. And it wasn't until 2019 that another company came into the what was it, uh, New Japan or uh, it was the right. uh, Ring of Honor New Japan uh, had, yeah. had uh, put a show together there yep and now uh, now this actually was uh, originally going to be uh, in the script it was for ice hockey but they couldn't get uh, permission from the NHL okay to do this the reason being they didn't want them the way they're going to film this to portray uh, hockey as a violent sport, which is hysterical. But there's a fight in every game. <laughs> that's 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 the irony. So yeah. so they they got uh, instead they got wrestling, and they picked a you know good group. I think personally, you and I both think this was phenomenal yes. to see pro wrestling USA in a film. Right. Uh, and at that time, maybe actually by the time this was released. Uh, Jim Brunzel was actually a very big star who was in the right. High Flyers because he was in the Killer Bees by the time this was released. And the Freebirds were very well known at the time. I think Brunzel had om- – I think it. this came out in 86, right? It was recorded yes. it, it filmed yeah. in 85 and 86. In 86, he had made his way to WWF as well. So yeah, he might not have even been there when this movie was released anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, because this actual match was uh, – from April 19th, 1985, at the Meadowlands is where it was actually filmed. Right. Um, and the other thing, um, now there was an interview with Greg Gagne. If you're watching the movie, you're going to see the wrestler with the yellow tights. He said the reason why this particular match was in the film, because there's a, there's a lot of great matches on the card. He said uh, the promoter, Gary Juster, they talked to the director. He said, which match will be the, the best put on here? He said, well, this match is going to be the most exciting, so you should put this match in the, in the film. I find that interesting. He broke yeah. it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so um, now you're, when you see the parking garage, this is another thing that's really, really uh, interesting to me. It, they, they have spray painted in the parking garage. It says the garden as if it's Madison Square Garden. I don't know if you noticed that, right? No, I didn't actually notice that. That's that's funny. Uh, okay, it says that this is actually a fruit market in London <laughs> that they made to look like uh, the parking garage. Isn't that amazing? Like that's a lot pretty- of this was shot. Yeah, there, there's going to be scenes in here that go from London to New York. And, uh, you know, you think mo- they did a great job because it does look like a lot of it's in New York. Right. It does. Yes. And uh, now this sword fight, I mean, this is a phenomenal sword fight, the way it just starts. I think it's funny because these guys supposedly don't age, but the guy he's going up against look like he's about 70 years old. Yeah, well, he was. This is something, uh, the character's name is Fasil, and he is like a legendary um, stuntman. Okay. And he probably like the biggest thing that the average person would know him from. He's a Tuscan Raider in Star Wars: A New Hope that attacks Luke Skywalker at the beginning oh. of the movie. Interesting. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like one of like the, the lead stormtroopers in uh, one of the scenes. So uh, 
And when they fight, they hit the water pipe comes out. And one of the most ridiculous scenes here, and, I, and this was um, right now they show like the uh, the director's cut. Anytime you watch this, this must be okay. I think that's the version because I, I watched this to refresh uh, today. I actually have it on in the background now. Uh, okay, yeah, for, for a second time today, just to refresh my memory a little bit. Yeah, um, I think I know what you're going to say with this uh, scene being so ridiculous uh, with the water, and then the guy like disappears. He kind of like does that extended flip throughout the uh... okay in the american version he keeps doing these backflips yeah that like, was the uh, one. That okay was the they one cut that, that saw, they yeah. cut that out of the the original theatrical release in america okay because they because they thought that looked ridiculous it does look i was yeah like, it does <laughs> it makes no sense i mean he kept going and going and going for like a good <laughs> minute and i'm watching it. I'm like, in a real I'm, fight, you're not going to keep doing backflips for a minute straight, right? Yeah. And it's just like, if that's the case, I would have taken advantage of it and stabbed you. <laughs> yeah, so that was one of the smart scenes that they uh, edited out of the American version. Do you agree with Rick? Yeah, yeah. But this is the, that's the, I did watch that. Uh, that did happen today. I was just like shaking my head because I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, so then after all the backflips, uh, finally... Uh, Connor McLeod he decapitates uh, Facil and uh, and this scene is really really I, I like this anytime the Highlander gets killed all this like their life force comes out of them like the cars start exploding right the the yeah. hoods like blow up and the lights popping out all that stuff yeah 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 so and this uh, what are you gonna say now and then he hides if you see Connor hides the sword in the rafters. Mm-hmm. why i don't know why this is like one of those plot things like why wouldn't you take the sword right rick well yeah but i mean lucky <laughs> for him, when he gets down the road when he gets down the road he gets pulled yeah because because the police so. pull over yeah and, and you have to have a plot device for later on right yes yep, yep. and they set up where his sword's uh stuck to in uh, one of the pillars so that comes into play later on to, and they find the other guy's sword, the Toledo Salamanga. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the what? Oh, and the other thing, too, in this garage where there's all graffiti in there, they mm-hmm. had to hire someone from America to do it because the people in England wouldn't know how to do a American graffiti. <laughs> well, they couldn't just get a parking garage in, like, New Haven, Connecticut? No, no. So there's, <laughs> most of this filming was done in, you know, in London, so that's that's the reason why. Um, what else? And then there, you see, there's uh, flashes to Scotland, and when they show the castle, this is I really thought was really uh, amazing. That castle is actually a real a tourist a tourist attraction there, and they they have it like all like you know like the village, and they have like you know the grass and everything. They had to cover. They had a parking lot. They had to cover that with mud and grass. Oh wow. <laughs> that must have been pretty expensive. Part of that expensive budget that they have. Yes, yeah, so they had to cover that whole thing up, but they saved money with the, all like the extras are all locals there, so they didn't have to fly anybody in or anything like that. Right. Um. Then there's uh, Connor. He goes to combat. He's there's a woman kissing him. That's one of the scenes that gets cut out of the American version for whatever reason. Then when they see her later, you're like. Who is this woman? If you didn't see the director's cut, you you're know? speaking like his first uh, romance in the movie. Yes, yes. yeah, yep. But um, and then when they have a battle, it's a, I think it's a, a pretty impressive battle scene. And apparently, a lot of battles actually historically occurred in that area. Oh, really? 
That's yeah. I, I thought yeah. it was funny because he kept trying to fight everybody. He's like, "Come fight me, you coward!" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like his acting in there was not uh, at its peak, you know. Yeah. So, um, and what was it? Now it was actually snowing and raining during the filming of that, which we could never tell actually because it doesn't look like that. I don't think in that area of the world, you know, yeah. that you'd be able to tell. Yeah, it's, it's always kind of dark and it's always gloomy. Yeah. 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 And then there was a uh, a screw up because uh, when they show like how they have the kilts and everything like that, it's supposed to be what fifteen forty one is the time period this this happens. They have the tartan and the kilts. Apparently, the the costume designer didn't know this, but um, the tartan because he didn't know the all the details of like the you know the time mm. period when this was filmed, but uh, the kilt and the tartan wasn't discovered until the 1700s so it's historically inaccurate but no, no one's gonna actually know this and apparently for this to actually be historically accurate they'd have to be fighting naked with like wooden swords and shields jeez it's like a frat party yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was, there was the initiation for it yeah just get some goats there's no, <laughs> there's no Google machine. No. no Google machine to figure this stuff out. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, then Kurgan, and this is where we started learning more about you, okay, Rick? Yeah. With the yeah, the, the Kurgan character, where uh, where he stabs Connor, and <clears throat> then we we uh, find out later that you know he he can't die unless he gets beheaded. Right. So then we, uh, what's that, Rick? Uh, yeah, I, I just find it interesting because, you know, he did say that, you know, before they went to war, save the one named Connor for me. And then he just yeah. stabbed him. He didn't try yeah. to behead him. Yeah. Um, maybe did the Kurgan at that point not know that he uh, had to be headed or that he was like Highlander as well? Yeah, see, I'm not really like, I assume he was like drawn not... to him for that reason. But yeah, but they don't really explain that. I know. Because I know shortly after, it's like after this that um, that Connor finds out, like, you know, after he's banished from yeah. the village. So, yeah. So then they go back to New York, uh, the film, and Connor drives off in the garage. He gets stopped by the police, like he said. So they explain that's the reason why he had to hide the sword. He doesn't want to get caught with the goods on him, right? Yeah. But um, then they go... Flashback to Scotland again, and this they show Connor. They think he's dead, and then he he comes back to life, and his girlfriend's crying. And uh, this was like everybody's. They think this is uh, like the work of the devil, right, Rick? <laughs> the, yeah, the way they're yeah. uh, reacting to this, basically. He's in with Lucifer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we go back to. Um, the parking garage again, and uh, it's supposed to be in New York. And the character Brenda Wyatt finds the sword and explains that the sword's worth a million dollars. And then the, they go to the, the police station. That police station is actually shot in London. It's not in New York. Uh, this is one of Rick's favorite scenes where he gets questioned about the sword. Uh, they <laughs> use language in here that is very politically incorrect now that nobody would say in a film. It's funny because it's in the 80s. That was everywhere to use. Uh, yes. Uh, to, to, to say things like that. And 
watching it now, you just kind of laugh. But, um, you know, it's probably a little bit. I don't think a lot of people, you know, I'm surprised it's not censored. I mean, the way that things go in the country yeah. these days. So, you know, um, yeah, but it was a, a regular thing back in the day, 1984. Yeah. yeah, especially for an interrogation scene, right? They would say <laughs> right. anything. Yeah, yeah. And they beat the crap out of you, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the cop uh, punches them. And now I wonder if this is a screw-up. I don't know if you caught this, Rick, where the detective said uh, they found the head in New Jersey. Have you ever been in New Jersey? Okay, right, because they were at the garden. Because it was filmed in New Jersey. I wonder if he screwed up, you know, the actor. And left it in there because I thought, yeah, I was like, because I was watching that. And, you know, I know that they've said it. And today I'm just like, you know, they're supposed to be in the garden because he just asked him about the garden. Yes, exactly. About Jersey. I'm like, I've been to the garden. I know for a fact it's in New York City. Yeah. So I think it's one of those, and it happens, they call them film flubs. Yeah. That people don't like sometimes uh like an actor will say uh, the actress's real name and nobody catches it and it's it's in the film so i wonder if it's one of those type of you know one of those errors that happen them right so uh they interrogate him about that like he goes you talk funny where are you from (laughs) that's one of the lines lots of places Uh, that's so another yeah. thing you can't say today because you can't question anybody you know what I mean? oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like yeah, in today's culture it's, it's completely different you know yeah um, yeah so the, the cop accuses him being gay uh, and then he then he gets it up and he punches him and yeah, he wants so that... he asks him if he wants a piece of his ass that's the... <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> i think it's hilarious because like uh, i said you know it's, it's a different yeah, time yeah yeah and then, uh, so then we see the Kurgan. He drives in a car. He's playing, uh, but he has Queen on cassette. He pops in. <laughs> this is hilarious because he's driving like a loony. This isn't the first time he drives like a lunatic. Yes. Lunatic in the car. But do you hear those uh, 80s electronic drums on that Queen track? <laughs> <laughs> now, if you, and the way he's dressed too, this is a very generic, like Hollywood punk metal. Like, yes. Uh, like if you watch, like, Terminator, for example, it's a good example. Like, okay, make yeah. a punk. Okay, yes. right? <laughs> yeah, and then the, I love, I love it. Then then he uh, cuts his hair off, and then he's got like a. Oh yeah, yeah. Side. Later on, <laughs> like right now <laughs> yeah. at the beginning, he looks like Pete Steele from Typo Negative, doesn't he? <laughs> That's a good reference. Yeah. yeah, that's who reminds me of if you look at him. Yeah. At least the beginning of film. Later on, he looks a little different. Yeah, this but, is like a uh, Hollywood punk, uh, according to eighties Hollywood. You know. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's yeah. yes. So uh, then he gets his hotel room, uh, and he shows him constructing the sword, and he starts practicing in there. Then he has a hooker uh, get sent to his room. <laughs> Candy. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> yeah, there's some great lines in this film. Uh, then they show Brenda uh, uh, researching in the in the lab, and they go back to the parking garage. He gets a metal detector, and then like we go back to when he gets that sword stuck in that pillar. She gets that piece, yep. so she gets that to examine. Um, and she goes to a bar, and that was actually at the talk. And his character's name at the time, his fake name is Nash. Right. What was the first yeah. name? Do you know? Because I could, uh, I couldn't yeah. remember. Uh, I yeah. tried to. I couldn't remember offhand, but yeah. So we'll we'll get to that. I know I have that at one point. My, my Wait, other question before you get going, that? I'm sorry, is yeah. the guy at the at the hotel, the guy behind the counter. 
Yes. Who was that? Who was that guy? He I looks familiar. Him. Yeah, I've seen him. I'm not really sure. But we'll look into that. In a lot of 80s. He's one of those character uh, actors, yeah. yeah, that they just. Yeah. He was um, funny, you know, in that movie. Oh, yeah, no, he's a character. Thing. Yeah, hook, uh, you know, <laughs> girls blow, you know. So <laughs> he was just funny. <laughs> Right, so ahead. yeah, so then the he uh Brenda and Nash are in the bar. That was actually shot in New York. And then then he leaves and then Brenda follows him. And now when this is going towards where the the sword fight is, uh so it's got him going from parts of London and New York back and forth actually, mm-hmm. believe it or not, which is uh-huh. weird that they did that cuz they the filming, they're on a budget that they had to do filming whenever they could. Uh, and then the Kurgan appears with the the sword. Now this sword, and then now, so Nash doesn't have the swords. He's trying to use a rope. Did you see that? A pipe to fight yeah, back? Anything yeah. he could find. Yeah, I did see that. So I mean, there that was like kind of invented that he had to do something to fight back, and and that took four hours to shoot that five minute segment. I was gonna say it was a five minute scene. Yeah. 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 Then the Kurgan kicks him in the head. He slams against the wall. Then the police helicopter. Just the light shines on, they all scurry. And then, what's that, Rick? I think it's funny. It's like when they're running away, and the cop's like, Hey, where are you going? Come back. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, He's a monotone. Yeah, yes, I'm going to come back to you. Yes, yes. You know, it's like, so it was ridiculous the way the cop said it. It was so robotic sounding. Yeah. So, yeah. so they, they flash back uh, to Scotland. Uh, they see how he comes back to life and uh so then he gets banished and then uh he gets headbutted too yep (laughs) a bloody a bloody mess uh his cousin is beating the crap out of him is uh where angus saves him and tells him uh we'll just banish him rather than burn him at the stake yeah and now that was that's when the headbutting was too violent for uh the u.s cut at the time apparently I find that really bizarre. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So what else now? So we we go to Nash's apartment in New York City, which how much would this cost, Rick, to have an apartment like this in New York City with like multiple levels? Nineteen eighty five? Oh geez. You know. Yeah. It probably uh what do you think at that time period? Because now we're talking twenty twenty one dollars. Yeah, I, I had a cousin who lived in Greenwich Village, and back back then, I think he was spending like two grand a month really? for a it's tiny like, little apartment. Like you know, it wasn't very big. Wow, even for in, only in Greenwich Village, this is like right out in the city. This place, yeah. Right? So I mean, I can so. imagine. <laughs> see, I was going to say in nineteen eighty four, as compared to. You know, today it'd probably be about a grand or maybe, yeah. two, but you know, yeah. I mean, also, you know, I don't know what, um, geez, what, what's the property like today? It's probably oh, like five thousand a month or something today. Oh, effect. this, I, I don't know, probably more like fifty thousand. Who knows? I don't know how people afford I don't know. to live out there. I, I, don't I really <laughs> don't know. I, I'm, well, I know how he can because if you saw his room where he has all those swords and artifacts, so he has all the antiques. He's the antique well, he's dealer, so he can afford dealer. it. Yeah, right. But it was, I thought it was a really impressive looking apartment, mm-hmm. you know, for uh, for the character. I thought it fit well. Uh, then they go back to 1514 Scotland. Um, now, this is where he, they show he's starting over his life because he got banished. Now, it shows that he has, he's a blacksmith 
if you remember that scene, Rick. Yeah, now he's he's, he's got shoes and stuff. Yeah, he has this uh this hut like over uh this giant rock. Now apparently, like uh, that's very historic. That area they said the Queen Victoria sat there. There's a pile of rocks. They said you could film there, but you're not allowed allowed to move like some of these rocks. Apparently, the director said, oh, "Okay, we won't move them." And then when they left, they moved the rocks and put the hut up anyway. Oh God! <laughs> and they just put the rocks back in the spot. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so, uh, but they don't know, so I guess everything worked out well. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so this is his new wife, Heather, and they live in this, this, cas- this castle now. Uh, then they're, 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 uh, they're, uh, they're doing the Hucklebuck naked. Is that what you call it, Rick? <laughs> <laughs> the Hucklebuck. Well, and I then... love it how she goes, you, you can do that to me forever if you Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then in the middle, they get interrupted uh, by Sean Connery as Ramirez. He just interrupts them, which I thought was hilarious the way that happened. I want to know how long he was watching before, but he uh, jumped. Yeah. In. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was our, our introduction to him. And now, apparently, because of their budget, they can only, and he's such a big name, Sean Connery, they can only afford to pay him to work for seven days. <laughs> Did you know that, Rick? No. Yeah. So that's wow. yeah. That's how tight their budget was. So they there's going to be scenes where you just like you'll see like the back of his head, but it's not really his head. It's a stand in, like in faraway shots. So there's they did the best they could with him. Was their budget higher for the second movie? Because he doesn't appear in the second. Oh well, if we ever cover that, I'll, I'll look into that one. I, I haven't done that, but we can if you want, Rick. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah. So then uh, the go back to New York again. Uh, then Brenda finds Nash's files, and she goes through it, and uh, uh, then they go to Nash's apartment. He's reading a book, uh, Metallurgical History of Ancient Sword Making, and then he flips over the back and sees it's written by Brenda Wyatt. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the camera, this is a cool shot. The camera then zooms into the aquarium and then it transitions into a lake from 1514. They show Ramirez and Connor on a boat. And this is a, like the Danielson type scene, right? With Mr. Miyagi where he's training him. Yeah. This is where he finds out that he, uh, could live forever. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. He he tries to drown him and he goes, you can't drown you fool. (laughs) (laughs) And then he's just like, I'm drowning, help me. And then he's like, under the water. He's like, oh, wait, I'm not dead. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so then he learns the sword fighting. Uh, Connor tries to attack Ramirez with the sword, but obviously it's not. He does, he, he vanishes. He just vanishes during this, and then he then he attacks him. But this was, I, I thought, this was like a good scene, the way this was filmed and everything. Yep, it was fun. Yeah, and then now during this, you're gonna see uh, a stag, you know, a deer, mm-hmm. in the scene. And then now there's one. The first shot you see that has water behind it. That's actually stock footage from National Geographic. <laughs> wow! Right, and yeah. then you're gonna see it run later. And apparently, they they had to get one, but uh, I guess the time of the year the stags lose their horns. They had to get horns. They had to vet glue horns so it matched the national geographic footage oh my god wow isn't it crazy <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and then apparently the stag just ran off during this and they found it 25 miles down the road and the horns fell off 
<laughs> but at least they got it for the shot and it didn't get hurt, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so then this is more uh, of Connor and Ramirez talking. They're in the village, and Ramirez explains to Connor that he can't have children if you're a Highlander. That's one of the things for whatever reason. Um, and then he explains the pain Connor felt in Kurgan's uh, Ramirez's presence is the quickening. Ramirez uh, appointed himself McLeod's tutor in the ways of the immortal sword combat, their pursuit of the prize, the rules of an old age game, and they to participate in the gathering. So they, they go over some of this, you know, not in like huge detail. As the movies progress, they start explaining more and more of this. It's a little vague, but they kind of give you a taste of it, right, Rick? Right, yep. You discover more as, like, you know, as the sequels come and the television yeah. series, etc. Uh, then they go to the castle. Now, the interior of the castle is actually an old factory of, you know, his house that he lives in now. Uh, Connor's uh, shows him riding horses. What's that, Rick? I was going to say, that's pretty strange. Like, uh, it does look like, you know, I mean, the factory must have been, like, early. Where Where was this again? Oh, this, this is like some of the like some of the the films that are supposed to be Scotland are actually London. You know, right, some of them. Where, this must have been like early, you know, early nineteen hundreds or eighteen hundreds or something to that effect. Because mm-hmm. it's like the way that it's built. You know what I mean? It's like a, if it's an old factory. It's just, it well, looks this is supposed to be. This is supposed. Yeah. Oh, what the actual time period? Yeah, I don't know what time yeah, the actual yeah. the real factory is from. That I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it shows them riding horses. Ramirez has more explanation about the prize. Uh, now then, Ramirez is in the castle with Heather, and then uh, this is a, a pretty crazy well, scene with the Kurgan. What's that, Rick? This is my one question: though. where the hell was Connor for this entire scene? I that's not explained. I, I don't know the answer to that. Was don't he, know. Uh, was he shacking up with another woman for the night? I I don't know. <laughs> he was he's in the lake washing. Right. It's just <laughs> the, it, this whole time. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, so that again, you gotta it's a you gotta leave that to imagination. It could be doing it. He could be hunting, looking for food, right? right. Okay, <laughs> I'll go with that. That seems to make the most sense. Yeah. So, uh, so then he bursts through the door and cuts a table in half. Uh, this is uh, the first day of Clancy Brown's filming, apparently, and this happened. And he screwed up during the scene, and when he went to cut the table in half, uh, he almost. Uh, Sliced uh, <laughs> Ramirez, like uh, his ear, the way way he did oh, it, oh, wow. and so yes, yeah, so he really. So I guess he he got along uh, at first. He was I guess he was pissed, uh, Sean Connery, but then they redid it, and it came out fine, and yeah. everything worked out. But uh, this is a good fight scene. I thought this was a great fight scene, probably the best in you know one of the best in any movie that you see. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's pretty incredible because they go all over, you know, the building. The building's falling apart because of the yeah, yeah, they're yeah, yeah they're smashing. Yeah, they put the swords the, hitting yeah. it. Yeah, the awakenings happening, like the the thunder. You know what I mean? Uh, and and it's all just you know, and, and it's just amazing looking the way that it was whole, all set up. Oh. Yeah, no, I I enjoyed it. Uh, Ramirez shoves Kirkin off the platform at one part, uh, and then he. Ramirez then he slices his throat, and uh, and he has a good line in there. My car has improved your voice. <laughs> Did you hear that ridiculous line? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually at this scene right now. Yeah. So 
Yeah, so then he stabs him. He, he does the stabbing in the stomach. Uh, and then uh, Kurgan says, tonight you'll sleep in hell. <laughs> this is the, <laughs> the classic line, there can only be one, right? Right, yep, that's where this is the first time it's used in the entire series, right? Yeah, so then Kurgan pierces a sword through Ramirez and decapitates them. So yeah, so this is when it really gets crazy with the, the life force and everything coming out and going into um, the Kurgan. Uh, then Kurgan goes towards Heather, and then that kind of like cuts off that. But then we find out later what happens with that. So um, then we go back to uh, New York City. Uh, Nash is talking to Brenda with his assistant. And then now they show now this scene. This is another one of the scenes that was cut out of the U.S. version that doesn't make any sense because you kind of need this as a backstory. His assistant. Uh, how they showed how he was in World War II and how uh, Connor saves her from the Nazis. Okay. okay. I don't remember seeing this before. Okay. Yeah, so the, if you watch the original U.S. version, they cut this out of it then. That's probably okay. why. Because I watched it. I, I'm guessing the, the the version I watched today was the director's cut. Everything and, now, yeah, it seems like, yeah, like a, on Tubi is the director's cut. Yep. Well, I watched it on Amazon Prime. Uh, okay. Because... I figured there'd be no be no commercials because of yeah. Uh, so I watched it, and when I saw that, I just I literally like, you know, my I snapped back. I was like, wait a second. I was like, I don't ever remember this, and I've probably seen this movie about a good fifty. Yeah, times. that's the reason why this was cut yeah. out. Which, which I mean, it's it's a good backstory as to why it he is. has this assistant. You know how he saved yeah. her and how. She never ate, you know, she aged, but he didn't age. So I, I thought it was kind of important in that sense, too. But that's just kind of right. weird that they cut that out. Yeah, very weird. Yeah. But apparently when they were filming this, too, when they're, you see all the explosions and everything for the war. But there was actually, uh, when they're blowing up the bricks, there was cyanide dust buried in that area. And they said people were breathing it in. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> they told them after the fact. The, the locals told them that. Yeah, that's usually how it happens after people collect the money. That's when they tell them. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, and they they show that. Then they go uh, back to New York with the assistant uh, as, you know, she's older now. This this scene, I think, is pretty funny when they have um, Brenda's at her apartment and has, like, a date set up uh, with Connor. And she has a cassette recorder hidden, has a revolver in her drawer. (laughs) You remember that, Rick? Yeah, cl- classic eighties. You know, it's it's yes. out in the open. Yeah. yeah. Then she goes to the bathroom, and then she has uh, these awesome eighties earrings she's wearing, oh, yeah. and this like blue, like shiny, like glittery shirt. <laughs> so it's definitely, uh, definitely from the eighties. When you see certain things, like you, you can't really tell, but that's one of the things that's that stood out to me. And then he's like making jokes in the bash the bathroom, and he finds a revolver. He goes, "I like your place, Brenda." <laughs> He's, he's looking out the window. He finds a cassette recorder. Starts like talking directly into it. <laughs> well, then yeah. he gives her the. Uh, he has a gift for her, so uh, it's the book that she wrote, right? Yes. yes so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she gets pissed off and, and, and wants to end the evening. Now, then they drink that Hennessy bottle. It's not a real, that's like a replica one that they're drinking from. It's not oh. an actual one. Now, this is uh, something I found out from the director where he where he opens it up and he starts sniffing the cork. Mm-hmm. You see that? And he's like in a trance. He said, uh, now this is a, 
he went out for dinner. He went out to dinner with uh, Jim Steinman. He's a produ- he produced Meatloaf. I'm not really too familiar with him. I'm not sure if you've heard of him, Rick. He was uh, in, I believe, yeah, he was Meatloaf producer. He's um, I'm not trying to. I'm trying to think if he actually uh, was in his band as well. I know he's got records, okay. and the artwork was done by the same guy. Okay. Uh, so I'm trying to think. I, I'm. I know that he was heavily associated with him. I just can't remember how. Okay, so apparently the director went out dinner with him, and he said Jim Steinman did that with wine. He said he sniffed it and went like that. He goes, oh, I just sniffed air from 1940. <laughs> so, so, so that's that's where he got that idea, and 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 had Connor do this, which I was like, all right, that's a strange thing. Yeah. I know a lot so, of those wine people do that. I mean, look at my father. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Your dad. Yeah. Rick's dad would have uh, actual videos of like people like wine, wine tasting, right? They'd oh yeah. Sniffing the yeah. cork and yeah, all that swishing stuff. around the, the glass. So he's all into that crazy stuff. It's it's hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> uh, so then they have another flashback with Connor and Heather. Uh, they're playing in the snow, and then the snow isn't real. They uh, they sprayed foam because it was like very hot. Actually, <laughs> it's the Hollywood magic that they had uh, infused in this. Uh, then they go back to New York again. They get, this movie goes all over the place, right? Right? I mean, yeah, it's like every couple minutes, it's going back. But it's good. It never gets yeah. boring, though. That's that's the thing. It's always it's constantly moving. You know. Yep. yep. Uh, then Nash meets a character, Sandra, who's a fellow Highlander on a bridge. And then they go to flashback to colonial times. So this is like a comedic. This is kind of an odd scene. I know you thought about this with Connor training with like the powdered wig on. You know what yeah, I'm about? It was like yeah. just very strange like the way this this was. Luckily for us, it didn't last very long. So yeah. In the movie. But um, and then also I have to bring up how Heather how they they go back and they show Heather how she aged and she dies in bed. You know how Connor and never aged, but but Heather aged. <clears throat> um, yeah. And now this character just kind of uh, came out of nowhere after I was talking about the Sundra character. Then all of a sudden, you see this guy in this red Thunderbird, which was very hot in the eighties. Those cars, yeah, those were all over the place. Yeah, and uh, his name is Kirk Matunis is the character's name. He just comes out of nowhere, is driving <laughs> around. I was like. All right. I was thinking at first, I'm like, is this guy an undercover cop? Like, who is this guy? Um, and he was actually in um, Empire Strikes Back. And if you, uh, he was the uh, is Rogue Two. He's the the guy who spotted. He was looking for Luke and Han when they were uh, gone on mm-hmm. Hoth because I found the, him. You're talking about the guy with the machine guns and stuff going out. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yep. That guy. Yeah, that been... guy. That he's been a lot of movies. Another... Things. Even to th- today, he's in, yeah. uh, I just, yeah, he's been in a lot of action. He's been, yeah, tons of stuff. Oh, yeah, he's still acting today. And he, he's a top of the list guy, like, as far as, like, you know, uh, what's that the word? Character, like, character actors. Character yeah, he's, he's done he's a gotten... ton of stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, but it's just this seems just very random how he just came out of nowhere. And they described him later as a survival nut. That was that was yeah, the description it seems like of him. He's a like a vigilante trying yeah. to save, trying to save the city. It seems like from crime, and then yes. uh, you know, and then he just so happens to be hunting for the the headhunter, so to speak. Yeah, would, yes, yeah. That's, that's it's good that you brought that up because you see, like the New York Post is brought up yep. and how they call it the headhunter. Yeah, you yeah. know, 
But uh, yeah, so this is a shows uh, Sandra and uh, Kurrigan they're fighting, and and uh, then he brings out the the Matunas character as a machine gun. <laughs> he tries <laughs> to use on Kurrigan, and then work. now, yeah, and then Kurrigan like stabs him, lifts him up, and flings him, which. I'm sure, like me, the first time you saw this, you just thought he was going to die right there. Yeah, he ends up in the hospital. I mean, if you pick up somebody... Supposedly, the Highlanders' swords are pretty razor sharp. If they lift them, wouldn't it just go right through them? That's what I thought. Yeah, Yeah, that's one of those strange things. So then... uh, They use wires to make him float like that. And then the the Sunda Sunda character gets decapitated. And he's, like, (laughs) levitating. And then this is another one of those... Uh, really, this was a, probably one of the best ones, I'd say, where you see the all the the manhole cover blows up, fire yes. comes out of it, and all yep. the, the buildings. And this is one of the things they uh, did this in one take, and they said it just like it lasted like a second, like the explosion. Wow! But yeah, that was uh, the way that looked was really impressive. And then the way later how they uh, they put the lightning in the way they add the animation. Uh, they use 11 cameras for that scene, and all the crew was wearing hard hats and goggles. <laughs> the actors weren't, but the crew was. Right? Yeah, yeah. You can't ruin that, but uh, you can't yeah. ruin the scene. <laughs> you don't want Kurgan yeah. with goggles and a, and a hard hat. <laughs> uh, now, this next scene is hysterical. I'm sure you're like when Kurgan carjacks the, the convertible, <laughs> he throws the yes, old guy yeah. out, and then has the old woman as a passenger. Yeah, and then, she's screaming like crazy. <laughs> and then they, they show her on the hood of the car, like trying yeah. to get out. Uh, which that wasn't really her, Rick. That was a stunt woman. I don't know if you. Uh, you... <laughs> uh, I, I was. I was scared for the old yeah. lady. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. Um, so then they go. What you were talking about? How he's still alive. This. Uh, this character, the survival nut. The detectives talk to him. They ask him about uh, getting attacked by the Kurgan. Said so they couldn't find any witnesses, so that's why they're talking to the survival nut, as they described him, you know. Right. And then that, then what you're talking about the the headline, New York Post headline says, "Headhunter Three Cop Zero. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, then they show Brennan Library, and that library is actually in London, and this is where she does more detective work and finds a birth certificate. And this is named uh, the new character, Russell Edwin Nash. Born in 1945, right? And so I think they they found out that he was he died at birth or something to that effect, right? And so it was just somebody's name that he took. Yeah, they explain. Yeah, so then she starts talking to people there, and uh, she has one of the the employees there investigate the signature, and they show how all these these names that they all match up all these uh, deceased people over mm-hmm. the years, and Nash would pretend to die. And then he'd, what does it say? He gets a, a corpse. The kids mm-hmm. who are corpses assume their identities. Right. So he, so that's, that's how you keep doing that. Right. Uh, now this is really a crazy scene. The church scene. Um, this is where um, you were talking about Kirk and how he shaves his head now. Right. And everybody's afraid of him. He's. Uh... <laughs> yeah, he really goes with the metal look now. He really has like the the leather vest on, right? He's yep. got the the sliced throat with uh little pins, <laughs> little yes. safety pins stuck in him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said he shaved his head, saying he's in disguise. 
That's the, that was the reason. <laughs> That's because he wouldn't stand out otherwise. The police would never know no, this yeah, huge guy, a, right? Right. He, he looked the same no matter what. You know, was, well, I think it's hilarious. He cut off one of the arms to his jacket as well. So yeah, he looked very uh, what you'd say like something that you would see like on a Mad Max or something to that. Effect. Yeah, yeah, you know, like very futuristic. And, you know, yeah, post-apocalyptic. Right? Yes, That's yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, then he sticks his tongue out to one of the nuns. He does a Gene Simmons style. <laughs> this part is hilarious. This is what like, I'm saying. He's a great villain, and then he, just, yeah. he doesn't get enough credit. They're scurrying away, and the priest wants to say something, but he's so scared to say something <laughs> in this movie. Like it's hilarious. Uh, and then they go back, you know. And then they go back and forth him, and uh, but they're not allowed to fight on Holy Land. Yeah, so that's yeah one of the the rules of the Immortals. They can't fight on Holy Ground. So then the priest, when he uh, he explains the house of God, he then licks him. He like, licks his hands. <laughs> this was great. Yeah, it was very. Yeah, it was definitely. Yeah, he's definitely a creepy character. And then he has one of his classic lines. Who do you take this from? Is this he from Neil from, Young? From Neil Young. Is it burn, better to burn out than to fade away? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Neil Young said that in sometime in the seventies. Uh, you know, and it just fits into this scene so perfectly because it's so funny. Like the. Yeah. The way the Kurgan is throughout this entire scene of the movie, uh, and like you said, it just shows him as like one of the greatest, like the greatest movie villains, uh, and this just adds to that uh, greatness. And now apparently Clancy Brown just said this on his own. Nobody wrote this; he just ad libbed and said that, and they thought <laughs> it was great, so they kept it. That's awesome. Uh, then we go to Brenda meeting Nash's apartment, and he explains how. Um, she knows the secret. And he he comes clean with everything, and uh, then this scene does it prove it. He has Brenda stab him. Yes, you know, and he explains that he's a well, Highlander. Wanna, this is the, this is a problem that I have with this scene now okay. that I'm watching it. What forty years later? That they just make out right after. Well, okay, <laughs> yeah. This is yeah. He yeah. So then the, he goes. He does a lot. Of, he does nipple nibbling in this too. <laughs> she's, <But> she's, <laughs> she's investigating him for murder. And yeah. then all of a sudden starts making out with the dude. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah. You know, that was the part of this movie that I thought yeah. was bizarre. Uh, so then they go to the zoo briefly and talk. And then Brenda goes to her apartment alone, and the Kurgan appears, breaks open the door. He takes her hostage, and this is one of the – he loves driving like a maniac. And this is another yep. great, great scene coming up, right? Do you agree? Yeah, I'm driving like a lunatic throughout the city on the wrong side of the road. Yeah, on the sidewalks, he's smashing into cars. Driving in between two tractor trailers. (laughs) Yeah, this is awesome. This is a great scene. (laughs) Uh, So then Connor gets his sword and he's looking for Brenda. And then they they set up now. uh, They show the silver cup scene when Mm -hmm. um, the Kurgan's driving around. So then Connor goes to this and uh right where the lighted sign is to find the kurgan and brenda she's she's tied up and um this is a really it happens very quick i don't know if you notice this so right when connor's uh walking up you're gonna see a train go by him in the mm-hmm. background i don't know if you yeah. notice that yeah but this is uh, one of these behind the scenes things I, I thought was awesome it wasn't a real train it was a miniature they made because this was shot in London, and they just pulled it with a string, like a rope, and they just pulled oh, okay. it. okay. Wow. I just, I just thought that was really cool. They hear these little things, you know, when you watch a film. Um, 
So then they're they're sword fighting. It's another really cool scene, I think, because they have water coming out um, from. Um, I don't even know what what that actually comes from. One of the tanks on the side when they're fighting, it comes out. Yeah, they're on top and of then, some building with the, that big yeah. sign. So there's probably some sort of water tanks or something. Yeah. Like so that, when right? they're fighting, and then they rig the signs specifically so when the letters start when they're fighting the letters start or the silver cover dropping they mm-hmm. detach so they don't get electrocuted when it falls in the water so it, oh. the power goes out right immediately before <laughs> smart idea yeah <laughs> yeah so, so i was like okay well that makes sense and then you see a lot of lightning and stuff during this scene when they're fighting uh then they fall through the roof uh during the scene and this is where uh the fight finally ends, and Kurgan gets really cocky during this, but then he gets decapitated uh, by Connor. Then the lightning comes out of his neck, and then the classic line again, there can only be one. <laughs> and this is the light, you know, the, that life force really surrounds him big time. And then they have all these demonic souls, this animation coming out. Yep. This is during um... this. They're in the factory. The factory windows just smash out like, yep. you know, like a huge storm and Go ahead. Yeah, and then they go through. Like you see, like his pupil is going through, like all these, like going throughout the years, like of all the all so the 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 other Highlanders he killed. Mm-hmm. And this is really weird. They'll show other skulls and things like that. It looks like a, like a, a little action figure of Connor McLeod's head. I don't know if you notice that. It's like so no, I had to I pause it. Yeah, I'm and then someone made like a little sculpture. It looked like of his head, but it just it didn't look very good. That's why it caught my eye, and I had to pause it to look at it. And I never wow. noticed it before because I, I haven't seen this movie in a few years. That's but it happens so quick. Um, but yeah, I thought that was odd that they did that. Like, why not just use like an actual photo of him or something, right? Or, right, right, <laughs> yeah. But then uh, Brenda. She's somehow she's not tied up anymore. She's not captive, so she comes to him, and then the movie ends on, on a, a positive note. Uh, they're in Scotland, but I guess it was actually shot in Wales. And then he has uh, Ramirez speaking to him, and there's a montage of uh, their scenes together, and it ends with them kissing on a mountain. So I mean, it's movies. I mean, it's I don't know. In my opinion, it's almost a flawless movie. I think you're right. Because there's nothing to really hate about this movie. Um, you can save that for some of the future movies, you know? Yeah, one, yes. just, <laughs> yeah. And I'm not just saying, like, as a whole. I'm just saying bits and pieces. But this movie really puts into place, like, a really good story. That's it, Rick. Anything you want to plug or say anything? Uh, nope. You can just check me out if you guys are pro wrestling fans. Check out my podcast. I just, um, you know, I cover a lot of pro wrestling in the Northeast. Uh, uh on top of the NWA and the United Wrestling Network, uh, Pro Wrestling Zone, PWZ Podcast. Check us out on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, and any podcast platform, including Anchor, Spotify, Apple, anywhere. And um, just hit me up and uh, tune in. And, John, thank you very much for having me once again. Oh, thank you for coming on. Thank you, everyone, and try and enjoy the daylight. If you enjoy this podcast please leave a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to it on. Also, please share this podcast with others. To follow us on Instagram, please go to shocking.things.podcast. And to like us on Facebook, it's at shockingthingspodcast. Our email is shockingthingspodcast at gmail.com. And you can leave a voice message that's located in the show notes. 
And until next time, try and enjoy the daylight. <laughs>